KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and this is Ezra Beck, and today is Friday, Erev Shabbat, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Pashat Pinchas. We haven't had the Erev Shabbat problem for the last two weeks. Uh, one Friday I was in uh, South Africa, and the other Friday I was sleeping off after I came back from South Africa. But we're back now to our regular schedule, the Erev Shabbat, the Erev Shabbat program. This program is actually being prepared on Thursday, and today was a very difficult day. Today, Thursday, Yudzayin B'Tamuz, it's a very difficult day here in Eretz Yisrael. Yesterday, there was a very serious incident on the northern border. Seven Chayalim, seven soldiers were killed, and two soldiers were kidnapped, and that uh, gets together, compounds the situation in Gaza where a soldier has been missing for the last two weeks and basically the Israeli army is now acting extensively both within Gaza and starting starting today, Thursday over the border in, uh, in Lebanon basically it's very close to a war situation our Tefilot saying Tehilim and Tefilot for all the chayalim, our friends, our children, who are fighting against the forces of terror, Malchut Zadon, basically the forces of evil, whose main purpose here is to kill. And uh, today, which is, uh, again, I'm preparing this a day before you'll be hearing it, today's Tzom Shiva Sabitamuz, starting the period of the three weeks, period called Bain Hamitzarim. Dates between the fast of Shiva Sabitamuz and the fast of Tisha B'Av. Commemorating the Chuban Bait Rishon and Chuban Bait Shini and Galut Hashchina, the exile of the Jews from Eretz Yisrael and the exile of the Shechina from being within present within Am Yisrael situation which even as we have witnessed in the last 50 years Shiva Tzion coming back of such a large portion of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael but the real the real correction, the real tikkun of Shechina and Am Yisrael has not yet been has not yet been accomplished we continue to suffer from the situation which we call Galut. I hope all of us in every place, all over the world, all Jews all over the world, are united in our tefillot, Lavinu Shemashamayim, Sheinachem, Kashbachu should come back, should return to us, return us to being his people, to being his children. And we should see Yeshua v'nechama b'mher of Yameinu. Amen. Naturally, we all know that ultimately our fate, our destiny, our welfare is all in the hands of the Kadosh Baruch Hu, Melech Yisrael, the Gala. And that is why to Him we appeal and, and, and our eyes are lifted only, only unto Him, only unto Heaven. On the other hand, uh, the instrumentation for God's actions in this world is through people, through leaders. 
that's obviously an essential core of religious Zionism, and I think of any of any Judaism. Uh, we don't sit back and wait for Nisim, but we pray to God to give His strength and His wisdom to those, whether it's in medicine, to the doctor, or in this case in politics, to our leaders. And Chas V'Shalom that I should introduce any politics to to KMTT podcasts, even holy politics. It's hard in Pashat Pinchas, the Pashat in which Moshe Rabbeinu asks God to provide a successor, a successor to himself, knowing that he is going to die, God reiterating to him that he is going to die, and Moshe Rabbeinu appeals to God to appoint a man, Al Ha'ida, Ish Al Ha'ida, who will go before them. The, the, the simple term that, that Moshe Rabbeinu uses for a leader is the man who goes before the Ada. He doesn't give orders. He leads. Leading literally. It's the English word. is to lead. Not to direct. But to lead. A leader has to lead. It's hard to wonder where we've come to and how we've come to it that we don't have we don't have any leaders in uh, here in Eretz Israel in Medinat Israel. And that too is something which we have to pray. Amazingly enough some people have excised the most important line, the most crucial line, from Tefillah L'Shlom Amdina. We pray to God to give wisdom and, and understanding to the, the ministers and advisors, in other words, the leaders, the political leaders of the Mdina. People who, who, who in their frustration or anger are not able to say in all of Tzidah Shalom Dina they decide to leave out that line because they're so angry at the leaders so they want Kishwokhu not to give them wisdom and understanding leaders are merely leaders they're merely us <laughs> they, we, we elect them they, they reflect us but they need they need divine providence they need divine help and, and, and if there's anything we should be praying for it's that God counsel help grant wisdom understanding courage leadership Boldness and all the qualities necessary to be the instruments for God's Yeshua, for the Yeshua Tadokeinu in, in Am Yisrael. And we should see Yeshua Benechama Mehera. Okay, enough of that. I'd like to share with you, on a somewhat different note, something I learned in South Africa. As you know, I, I spent a couple of days, I spent a week, a little more than a week in South Africa on a uh, mission for, for the yeshiva and for, and for Bnei Akiva giving shiurim there and it was a very very impressive group of young men who had learned a year in Eretz Yisrael were now back there they were the madrichim of Bnei Akiva giving enormous amounts of time to the, to the youth movement but also a bit of a break in the university studies set up a Beit Midrash every morning with, uh, with shiurim I, I participated in these shiurim uh, for a number of days as well as uh, meeting with some of the adult, the older people. It was a very interesting trip. What did I learn? I learned one thing. I learned a number of things, but I want to tell you one thing that I learned. As you know, the beginning of the tour, beginning of Shulchan Aruch, specifically in the tour, opens up with the words, Havei, Ratz Katzvi, Gibor Ka'ari, Kal Kanesha, Ve'az Kanamer, Lasot Ritzon, Avinu Shvashamayim. A person is, is, is instructed, a person is enjoined to be, among other things, Gibor Ka'ari should be mighty like the lion. In all the years that I read this, I had this picture in my mind, which I suspect maybe the tour had in his mind, 
of Ariham Itkaber, a lion majestically getting up in his strength and power. Of course, since this is found in the very, very, very first siman in the tour, the siman is called Hashkamata Boker, what halachot apply when you get up. So it's clear, it's obvious to me that what the tour is trying to say is that in the morning, when you wake up, you jump out of bed. You jump out of bed and go to do the mitzvot you have to do. Tefillah, Kriyat Shema, and the rest of the mitzvot of the day. Not to be lazy and lying around. Okay. Here I was in South Africa. And uh, on a little safari, on the one day that I had off. I'm sure when you think about it, you all know this is true. We've all seen it in the movies. What does Mr. Aryeh, Mr. Lion, do when the sun rises? And the words of the tour are in the air. There's a halacha quoted in the Gemara in Brachot. One should, ideally, wake up the dawn and not have dawn wake you up. That's Mitkaber Ka'ari. Mr. Neil Lion is sleeping. And he'll be sleeping through the rest of the day. Once every three days, perhaps, he'll get a little bit tired of sleeping. So he'll wake up, look around, take a stroll over to some water hole, and then wonder where his Mrs. Lion, whether she's brought him anything to eat. This is called Mitkaber Kavi. This is the picture that the Torah is suggesting. That's how we should be obeyed Hashem. Lolling around indolently in the heat every couple of days looking around to see if we can catch some nebuch with all the poor prey and hoping that perhaps the lioness has done it for us. That's mitkaber ka'avi. That's avodat Hashem. So I was trying to figure out the answer. The truth is I probably knew this before but when you when you're looking at the at the at the African belt so you really begin to wonder what could the first siman in the tour actually mean I think the answer is, 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 is simple and the the ramification is exactly what we thought it was you're supposed to jump out of bed but the reason is really different what is gvurat ha'ari what is the the might the strength of the of the lion it's not that he runs around all day doing things he's not a bundle of energy he's lazy but when he needs to do something if he's waiting, 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 and he needs to hunt, or he's attacked, or he, his, his, his den is threatened, then all that potential energy that was sitting deep inside, and just really just sitting around doing nothing, all of a sudden bursts forth, and he becomes, for perhaps only for a few minutes, the mighty, ferocious animal of, more or less of legend, but of reality, when the need, when the call, when the call comes. And I think what the two is saying, Mitkaber Ka'ami, is rising to the challenge. Now, of course, to the two, it's obvious that when the day begins, that's the challenge. We're Jews. We have mitzvot. So as soon as it's dawn, Kashbuch is waiting for you. So Mitkaber Ka'ami means really to, yes, indeed, to jump out of bed. Not like the Avihu, not like the lion who spends the next two days sitting around looking for some shade to hide from the sun close enough to the water hole so he can get his water without without struggling. It's mitkaber kavi because now there's a call, now there's a challenge, now there's a necessity. God waits you and you jump out of bed to litpala. And then there'll be another mitzvah, and then there'll be another mitzvah. And each one of them calls forth within you the resources that you didn't even know were there, but you find them, you gather them together, and, you, and, and it bursts out in activity. Now it very well may be, in fact I'm sure it will be, 
that for a Jew who has mitzvot all the time, there's a midrash, I quoted in the midrash Hayomi a couple of days ago, well, actually more than a week ago, midrash at the end on, of, 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 of Pasha two weeks ago, on Pasha Tzitzit, midrash lists how there's always mitzvot, wherever you go there's a mitzvah, person goes to work, so in his work it's talking about agricultural work, so he plants a tree, there's a mitzvah having to do with planting of trees, and it ends with when you put you get dressed, so there's mitzvot of your, of your dress. Uh, there's the challenges, the opportunities. The call from HaKadosh is constant. So that's true. And therefore, if you mitkaber kari, then each one you will never get into the habit. Never just sort of coast along. You'll not be like the lion underneath the tree in the heat of the day. But you'll be like, like the lion who is on the hunt, on the prowl for that once in ten days by him tracking down tracking down the antelope. For you, tracking down the antelope may well, very well be every five minutes. And each time that antelope appears, you need to make a bracha on this food. Or you need to give tzedakah to a poor person. Or you need to fix something. Or you need to do what you need to do. Because you're an Ever Hashem. So each one of them will be with an explosion of energy, boundless energy, more than two seconds before someone had could possibly have believed was present was present within you. That I think is the real shot of Mitkaber Ka'ari. And for that matter also Ratz Katsvi. Deer tend to stand around a lot, but when they run, they run. Baaz Kanamer and Kal and Kal Kanesha. That's what I learned on my trip in South Africa. Very nice kila there. Very strong kila. It was a good trip and I saw many boys who learned in the yeshiva in the past and I am rather certain that I saw a number of boys who will be learning in the yeshiva, learning in Eretz Yisrael and other yeshivot in the, in the future. Yahweh, 
Taking a short look at two characters, two personalities in this week's Pasha, who in the course of the Torah, I guess would be considered to be relatively minor characters. Uh, at least one of them has a major future part, and the other one has a, a major part in understanding of Chazal. But in this week's Pasha, they, they really are, are come, come into their own. The first one is obviously Pinchas, after whom the Pasha is named. And in the beginning, God commends him on his actions in the end of last week's Pasha when he killed Zimri and says, God gives him a covenant of peace. And the second one is Yehoshua, who is formally uh, inducted, so to speak, or at least uh, nominated to be Moshe Rabbeinu's successor. Uh, concerning the first, concerning Pinchas, he received Briti Shalom. God gave him a covenant of peace. Why, why peace? There are two opposite interpretations that I'm familiar with. One is the Nitziv. The Natali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin says that God gave him a covenant of peace as a correction or perhaps an inoculation against his very, very good and wonderful uh, trait, his wonderful Midah of Kanaut, of zealousness. The thing that Pinchas had shown the Pasuk says it explicitly, et kinati, when he, he, he showed zealousness, the zealousness of God, when he actually went and killed, he, he, he smote and struck and killed a, a person committing a sin in the act of the sin. No long deliberations, there was no trial, he simply, Pasuk describes it so beautifully in the end of last week's Pasha, he stood up, took the spear in his hand, and went and killed both Zimri and the Midianite woman, Cosby Batsu. And that's commendable, that's wonderful, he saved, the Pasuk basically says, he saved the Jewish people, and he saved the honor of God. But, Nenesiv says, it's a very difficult and dangerous trait. It's a trait which induces cruelty, hatred, negative, very negative, uh, uh, psychological feelings into the person who has to do it. And therefore, God gives him Briti Shalom. The, the covenant of peace is a corrective, a palliative, to save him from the, so to speak, negative side effects of his own positive, of his own positive Mita. Mephaim, Mephaim Biska said the opposite chat. Mephaim said that when, when God gives Briti Shalom, it's like when the 
It's like when the general command gives out uh, uh, medals of honor. Pinchas had done a great thing, and now he receives an award. Not a monetary award, but a, a, a an award of honor. A badge, a badge of honor. So, for instance, if somebody would write a, a great work, a great scientist, he would receive a Ot Chochmah. He'd receive a sign of wisdom. If you're a soldier and you did a, a great thing in battle, you would get an Ot Givura, a badge of courage. Pinchas received a Brit Shalom, like an Ot Shalom, a badge of peace. Why a badge of peace? As I said, pointed out, he did the opposite. But if Chaim said that's not true because what God was saying was that by doing what he did, he created peace within Israel. The act of Zimri and the attending atmosphere of licentiousness that was present in Am Yisrael when the Benot Moab, the daughters of Moab came to them, was causing a war between the Jews and God. By striking and killing Zimri, Pinchas had brought about, had re-mended the connection, the relationship between God and the Jews, and therefore he had created peace. And therefore he received a Brit Shalom. He like he got he got he he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Because he did peace. He didn't do he didn't do war. By killing one person, he had reconstructed reconstructed the peace. And I think the point uh, this wasn't and when I saw this was quoted in the name of Chaim, I didn't see the final point, but I think it's obvious this is what it has to mean. Is that what Chaim was saying is that you don't get an award for the trait you showed, but for what you accomplished. And it may appear to be paradoxical, although unfortunately it is often true that sometimes one has to go to war to achieve peace. One has to do A to achieve B, including when A and B are the opposites. But the award that Pinchas received was not the award for one who had shown zealousness, anger, uh, attack, aggression. He received the award for what he accomplished. He accomplished peace. And therefore, he received B'ti Shalom. Turning to a later, por- uh, a later portion in the, in the Pasha, we have the election of Yehoshua. Yehoshua is chosen to be the successor to Moshe Rabbeinu. A very, very famous Medrash quoted in Rashi says, Zkenim ador hayu omrim. When, when Moshe laid his hands on Yehoshua and the Spirit of God descended onto Yehoshua, so the elders of that generation, the oldest people, said, Pnei Moshe kipnei chama, Pnei Yehoshua kipnei levana, Oy la'ota busha, oy la'ota klima. There are two parts of the statement. I think the first part is more famous and better known, but the second part is an integral part of it. They said, the face of Moshe appears like the sun, the face of Yehoshua appears like the moon, to which they added, woe to this disgrace, woe to this shame. Okay, there are a lot of, lot of comments. I, I couldn't even begin to describe and to recite all the different explanations given. This is like one of the most popular uh, uh, themes for Joshua Pashat Pinchas. Two, two comments. Avitzilah Valajan, the son and successor of Chaim Valajan and the Valajan Yeshiva, concentrated on the second part. Okay, Pnei Moshe Kipnei Chama. Moshe's face was like the sun, Yeshua doesn't meet the same high standards 
isn't as luminescent as Moshe, his face is merely like the moon. What's the busha v'chlima? What is the shame and the disgrace? So Bitzela explains that the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu shone like the sun was not a reproach and didn't cause any shame or even discomfort to the Ziknei Yisrael, to the other elders, meaning the wise men, the elders of Israel. Because they knew that Moshe Rabbeinu had special traits. Moshe Rabbeinu had a special gift from God. Moshe Rabbeinu was really an elevated, unusual individual. He was born with certain qualities and they didn't think that the fact that he achieved so much more than them was in any way reproached to them. They respected and understood Moshe Rabbeinu's uniqueness. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was Kipnei Chama, but Yoshua was Kipnei Levana. What does it mean, Pnei Levana, the face of the moon? We all understand that the moon has no light of its own. Its light is reflected from the sun. Which of course indicates the difference between Moshe and Yoshua. That's the Pshat in the Medrash. Moshe Rabbeinu Shon and Yoshua as a Talmud. He's the archetypical Talmud. The greatest of all Talmudim. He's the Na'a of Moshe, the disciple, means the lad, the disciple of Moshe. And therefore he reflects Moshe's light, and that's his own light, but it's his own light only in reflection. But then this Kenim said, you know, how did Yahushua achieve his greatness? He indeed shines, and we don't. How did he achieve his greatness? The Pasuk says, because Lomash mitocha Owel, he spent day and night at Moshe Rabbeinu's side, at Moshe Rabbeinu's feet. He was the Shamash in Moshe Rabbeinu's Beit Medrash. And that's how he reflected Moshe Rabbeinu. That is no reason why we couldn't have done also. Yoshua achieved his greatness through his efforts, through his endeavors, through all the time that he had placed and put into sitting at Moshe Rabbeinu's feet. We could have done that too. When they saw that Yoshua, who was only Levana, but nonetheless was shining like a Levana, he was only the moon, meaning a reflection, but he was shining like the moon, that's when they said, Oy lo busha, oy lo Moshe Rabbeinu might be unique, but Yoshua, this Kenim felt, correctly, Yoshua, this Kenim felt, was within the reaches of any person who would apply himself to be a disciple. There was one Rebbe, one Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabban Shoko Yisrael, but Ko Yisrael can be Talmidim, and are Talmidim of Moshe Rabbeinu, and that was, Oy lo busha, oy lo that was of Itzel's comment on this on this midrash. Rav Chaim Velashana, his father, made a, a a different a different comment, concentrating on on the first part. He asked, why was it that the elders of the generation said, "Pnei Moshe, Pnei Chama, Pnei Yoshua, Pnei Levana"? Why didn't everybody see this? Moshe Rabbeinu was shining, Yoshua was shining. Everybody should have seen it. And he explained the following. He said, when the younger people saw that Yoshua was shining what we call like like the moon, and they understood that that was less than Moshe Rabbeinu, but they weren't that impressed with that. They figured Yoshua is young. Moshe is old. Wisdom comes with age. As Yoshua gets older, he too will be the equal someday of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. But the elders, the old people, they remembered Moshe when he was a young man. And they understood that Moshe, when he was young, shone with more radiance than Yoshua. And therefore they were the ones to cry and to say, They understood that a process of Yeridat HaDorot is inevitable, that the generations will in fact go down. The purity, the pristine clarity of Moshe Rabbeinu who is receiving the Torah from Sinai cannot be transmitted wholly to the next generation. And they, when they saw that, when they saw how Yoshua, indeed the greatest of Moshe Rabbeinu's disciples, 
was not at a point equal to Moshe Rabbeinu when he was young, and therefore in the future would also not be equal to Moshe Rabbeinu when he was old, that's when they cried and said, woe to the disgrace, woe to the shame, that we are unable to preserve, and in, 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 in its full essence, the Torah, the wisdom, the light of God that was found in Moshe Rabbeinu. For today's Medrash Yomi, the daily, the daily Medrash, a little bit further on in the Pasha, we have the Pasha of the story of Benot Slavchad. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu is preparing to divide Eretz Israel among the different uh, Shvatim, among the different families, and the five daughters of Slavchad who have no brother, there's no son to inherit Slavchad, and they ask and eventually receive the inheritance of Slavchad. So it's a it's a private story about five women. The importance halachically is that we learn from there the laws of inheritance. We learn that daughters inherit uh, when there is no when there is no son, as well as all the other laws of inheritance which are taught at the same time. There's no question what the what why this pasha exists from the halachic point of view. But the story, why does the story take place? I think Chazal were concerned about the story, and they say. The following thing: Vatikravna benot slavchad oto hador hayu anashim godorot mash anashim portzim. In that generation, and I leave it to you to think of what the significance of the opening line is. In that generation, is it coming to say not in other generations? In which case, it would be less important to learn about it, or is it giving us an ideal that we should aspire to? But in that generation, the women would fence that which the men would breach. The 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 model. The image is of a wall. The men had put a breach in the wall and the women had fixed it. They had fenced in the hole that the men had made. In that generation, the women would fence what the men would breach. And he gives two examples. Shkenetam would say, way, way back in Chetaiga, which was actually the previous generation, two, uh, the first year when they left Mitzrayim, Aaron had said to the people at the time of the Chetaiga, Pirkun he told the men, apparently, to take off the earrings, the golden earrings, or the golden nose rings, the golden rings, which were in the ears of your wives. And the Medrash says, The women refused. They refused to give them, their husbands their jewelry. How do we know that? It says the people took off the golden rings from their ears, not from their wives' ears, but from their own ears. So the women did not participate in Masah Ega. That's the first example. And the second example is that of the spies. Remember, the spies were also in the beginning of the second year, but the, the Midrash ignores the time period in between. The spies, right? they spoke evil about Eretz Yisrael. They got, in fact, they got the whole people to come with them. And they were punished. They were punished because they said, we will not go up. We will not, we don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. That was their sin. But the women were not included. The women did not participate in the Chet HaMeraglim. Women did not, were not included in that whole plot, in that whole uh, complaint that, 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 that took place. 
כי אמר השם להם, מאות ימותו במדבר, ולא נותר מהם איש, כי אם כלב בן יפונה, איש ולא אישה. Because it says in the Pasha, that sums up, in, in this Pasha, I'll be, in this week's Pasha, it sums up the, uh, the, the, the 40 years, and said that no man remained from the original group except for Yoshua and Kalev. doesn't say anything about the women. So the Midrash claims that Isha doesn't mean individual, it means male individuals. But the women were not punished, they didn't die. Not all the women from the first generation died before entering Eretz Israel. Only the men from the first generation died. How does Medrash know that? The word Ish could obviously easily mean an individual without reference to the gender of the individual. So it has a proof from the Pasha of Benot Tzlovchad. The men didn't want to go to Israel. These five women, the five daughters of Tzlovchad, they pushed themselves forward. Right? Something which was perhaps unexpected in the Midbar, in Am Yisrael as being led by Moshe Rabbeinu who had given a dictate from God how to give out. They pushed themselves forward because they wished to receive in Achala, a, 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 a section, an inheritance in Eretz Yisrael. And the Midrash obviously assumed that they did this not because they wanted to become rich, but because they wanted a share in Eretz Yisrael. That's why this Pasha is juxtaposed to the death of Dor Midbar. Not to the story of the Meraglim, but to the end of the story of the Meraglim. The Pasuk sums up how they all, the men, had died, and then tells us about that which the men had breached. The men had shown disdain and disinterest in Eretz Yisrael. Gadru, Gadru Hanashim, the women had fixed that fence, had fixed that breach, had fenced it in. And apparently, it's come to tell you, the expression of fencing in a breach means you've actually fixed something. Amisar had a serious flaw, a lack of, a lack of desire to enter Eretz Israel. And the ultimate correction for that was the extraordinary love of Eretz Yisrael, they not only agreed to do what God had given them, which was expected of all Jews, and the Meraglim had not done, but they wanted more than God had given them, because God had given them, apparently, they thought nothing, and they pushed themselves forward, they, they, they volunteered to receive a portion of Israel, and that was the correction for the sin of the Meraglim. We find this idea in other places, it's an important idea, we're talking about sin and, and atonement, that a correction to historical sin is to go overboard in the other direction. Probably the most famous example today is not from Chazal, but it's taught uh, it's, it's taught in all the schools in Eretz Yisrael. The statement of Avraham of Kuk Zatzal, the Gemara in Gittin says that Bayit Vishon, the first temple, was destroyed because of idolatry and murder and licentiousness. But the second temple, the people were tzaddik and they, the Jewish people observed the Torah, but it was destroyed because of sinat chinam. Sinat chinam, hatred, chinam, hatred for nothing, right? Totally un, unjustified hatred. And the story that the Gemara gives is the famous story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. And of course, said if that's true, then the tikkun, the ligdor et aperetz, the fencing of the breach, will be when we engage in ahavat chinam, totally unjustified love. You have to overcompensate to correct the historical 
fault, the stalk or deficiency in Am Yisrael. And very often people think that they have justified hatred or dislike. There are all sorts of problems which elicit a negative response from us, perhaps correctly from the normal means of measuring, but in order to correct, remember, we're all, our goal is to correct the sin which led to galut, which led to exile and destruction. And the correction, Rav Kook said, will be avat chinam, unjustified love, because only by that means can we correct the unjustified hatred which lay at the basis for the galut of the last 2,000 years. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to KMTT. Another week. KMTT is the Torah podcast. Brought to you by Shivat HaRatzion. Broadcasting here from Gush Etzion to Malon Shfut in Eretz Yisrael. Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah. Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. Wishing you call to Shabbat Shalom. Nechama Yeshua. And we're back next week. Monday, once again, a shiur of HaRabbi Yemin Tavori in the weekly mitzvah. During the week, the rest of the shiurim. The podcast will continue until Rosh Chodesh Av. It's another two weeks. Every day, Kvayitim LaTorah. Have your steady, daily Torah time. I remind you once again, I know I'm becoming tiresome. Once again, I remind you, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everybody you know. There aren't enough thousands of people yet on KMTT. Call to Shabbat Shalom and we'll be hearing, you'll be hearing from us as Rat Hashem next week.